Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Higongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite for a chat about favorite spots and Mark Suchu. Quarter Snack's favorite spot series is one of the best things in skate media right now, so we had to get the mastermind behind the series on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Farron Golding. How did the idea for this series come about? Well, thank you for having me on the show, and mastermind is far too generous of a term, but... Um... It happened by accident in a way. So I interviewed Gilbert Crockett for Quarter Snacks this time last year. And through a friend of Costa's, Costa, Costa who runs Quarter Snacks, uh, a friend of his who works at Vans, they'd asked if we could do like a video component to the interview just to post on Instagram so that Vans could share it too, just to say, you know, Gilbert has a new Quarter Snacks interview up, go check it out. And I've always been a really big fan of Gilbert skating, mainly because he returns to the same spots in his footage and because he always skates his hometown. Like, uh, Jason, you're, you're from that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Richmond uh, was, was psyched on that video about all the da- downtown spots like SunTrust and all that shit, yes, sir. Yeah, so that basically Gilbert's Old Dominion part is one of my favorite video parts and it's the most perfect hometown video part to me in a way. He's, he's skating at night. Richmond looks cool, but a lot of it reminds me of where I live. And yeah, he skates a lot of the same spots and he skates a lot of the same spots throughout his video parts. But Old Dominion is the one that is like the starting point for me with Gilbert. So I always go back to it and he skates SunTrust in that part. So when me and Costa were sounding out like what we could do for this little video thing, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Gilbert about returning to skate spots. Maybe we hone it in on this one spot in particular because he had he has a line in Old Dominion. He does that insane ollie. He'd done that before, before the Old Dominion part for his life splicing. When he ollies from behind the bench over the three stairs, it was an alien workshop ad too. Do you remember it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. So there was that. And then he had a line in All Right, OK, where he front side flips up the stairs no, hang on. I've got this the wrong way around. Oh, fuck. He does a mirror trick. He does a mirror. Oh, this is really going to annoy me. That I can't remember which one he does. I Maybe think it's he like- backside. He frontside flips up the stairs in Old Dominion and backside flips up them in All Right, OK. So I was like, oh, cool. Those three lines, that's like a little case study for skating this one spot. So, yeah, just just midway through the interview with Gilbert for Quarter Snacks, which had the headline that the fundamentals of skating are in a video part, uh, if you want to drop in the show notes or whatever um we just kind of went on a tangent about him skating hometown spots and i was asking him about those and it was fun and then i just i mean you know how interviews are you go on tangents and you you end up with more you end up with more questions than you wrote because you think of them midway through talking about something so i ended up with a bunch more audio than just talking about sun trust um because I kind of broadened it out as well, talking about staying in his hometown. Like, I think it's really cool. Gilbert's basically like, for lack of a better way to put it, he's an A-list skateboarder, but he lives in his hometown. Um, that felt pretty like unique for probably, I imagine, a good portion of his career. Um, yeah, so did the interview with Gilbert, and basically Will Rosenstock had sent over a reel of footage of him skating SunTrust in other areas of downtown Richmond. And the idea was I wasn't going to do that video, the very first favorite spot. wasn't even called favorite spot. Costa was going to edit it. I was just going to pull the audio out and like sort of mock something up of what it was meant to be. And basically I got carried away and just did the whole thing. Like I probably started with those three clips, the SunTrust ones, the, the line, the Ollie and the other line. And 
it just came really naturally. I think I did the bulk of it, like three quarters of it in one night as like a first rough cut. And I sent it to Costa and I was like, yo, I know you're going to do this and kind of like didn't mean to just jump on it, but it just kind of clicked. And I sent it to him and I was like, this is cool, man. Like you can take care of the rest of the edit if you're happy to. So yeah, I finished it up and found some other clips of him skating that spot that weren't in the reel of stuff Will Rosenstock sent through various venue edits and just stuff that was online. I had to rip a copy of Dominion 5 from like, I don't even know what the video sharing platform was. It 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 looked so archaic because there's a line Maury Blankenship does where he does a line that ends on a nose grind on a bench at SunTrust and there's a clip of Gilbert doing nose grind back shove on the exact same one however many years later. So I wanted to put those things side by side. So yeah, I ripped some other stuff that I'd found and got all that cleared with all the filmers through Will and Costa um, and yeah, put it out and Costa just named it favorite spot because Gilbert says word for word in that thing. It's definitely my favorite skate spot. And that was the first one. And then after that, Costa did the ha- the Yaldi one on Yamas. I didn't, I didn't have anything in that. Like Costa sent me a draft of it and I just was like, oh, this is cool. Touch this up. Like maybe do this, blah, blah, blah. And then it started with the Gilbert one, but I feel like it picked up steam with the Ave one. Is it because of Ave and his charisma and the story around that bench? Or is it just because, like, around this time, people said, like, oh, like, you feel like the format was catching? It was the absurdity of that story behind the bench and the fact that it's Ave and you don't get interviews out of him too often. And that, I mean, it feels weird to say because I edited it, but, like, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it is um, funny. So, but the Ave one actually started out as a joke. Like, uh, after the Gilbert one, I guess Costa's buddy Zach at Vans was stoked on it and basically said, like, oh, if you want to do any of these with, like, any people who ride for vans, we'll, like, help put you in touch with them, no swear. So I text Costa around the time Dancing on Thin Ice came out, and I think I just shot him a text being, like, favourite spot with Abe on that bench. And uh, he was like, yeah, they stole it from some downtown LA spot, blah, blah, blah. And I was fully joking about it. Didn't think it would go any further at all. Little bit of time went by. This is probably still winter last year. And I came home from skating one night, sat down on my bed, pulled my phone out, and I had a text from Costa saying, Abe's down to talk about the bench. And I was just like, holy shit, because Abe's my favorite skateboarder, probably of all time. He, The first ever video part I saw, the first skate video I ever saw was the DC video. So Abe in the DC video was the first video part I ever saw. So that green bench has been in my consciousness for as long as I rode a skateboard. That must have been a hell of an interview to conduct. I mean, how do you how do you compose yourself? I mean, granted, he's just a skateboarder. He's a human being with feelings and everything like that. But like you just mentioned, he's a whole he's a a foundational part of your skateboarding experience. So what was that like? How did you keep it yeah. together? Well, with interviewing any skateboarder, the experience of interviewing skateboarders in the time I've been doing this has got less intimidating, but it has never got any less exciting. Like, I'm as excited now when I interview someone as I was the first pro I ever interviewed. It's just less intimidating now. And honestly, I think Ave broke the boundary of that being intimidating because I was like, well, if I can interview Ave and do a good job of it, then, like, no one's really scary because that's, like, the scariest one. Because, yeah, he's he's a skateboarder I really like. And as you said, like, that bench is, is like, intrinsically tied to my life as a skateboarder in a way, hilariously. 
I text Chromeball before Eric Swisher. I text him beforehand because he did he did hit Chrome Chops's interview with Abe, his Chromeball interview with him is really, really good. And I wanted to touch on some of the same stuff, but not in the same way. And yeah, I just texted him basically being like, yo, you interviewed Dave some time ago. I'm interviewing him too. Is there anything that you wish you'd have asked back then? Or is there anything to do with his skating since then that you'd want to know about? I do that quite often. Like if I know, if I'm like friends with someone who has interviewed someone I'm going to interview, I'll always be like, oh, I'm speaking to this person. Anything you wish you'd have asked back then or whatever, like, so basically, anyway, yeah, Chops texted me just saying he's super cool. Just relax, like you'll have a good time. And within twenty minutes, I, it was it wasn't really nerve wracking. Like he's really funny. Like he's really funny. And yeah, the the whatever. The, I mean, not that he was intimidating. It's more like I was intimidated by the circumstances. But yeah, it, he was just he was really fun to talk to, and it washed away pretty quick. So there wasn't anything to it as far as like reeling in the fanning out i guess like pretty quickly it was just like having a conversation with someone i really respect and i'm a fan of nice and then um in the terms of historical perspective part of what you're doing in this favorite spot series is that you are documenting the legacy of these skate spots which is something that previously was kind of it wasn't treated with the same sort of uh depth or reverence that maybe some of these legendary skate spots deserved and so this is not a knock on, you know, passing down stories in an oral tradition, but like having these nice detailed and thoughtful reflections on a skate spot is really important because, you know, when, you know, people stop skating, when people die, you know, with the passage of time, a lot of that disappears. And it's kind of weird that it's only very recently that you've had this kind of depth in the conversations about a spot um, because, you know, we used to have spot checks in old 411s, which were great. But there was something about them just, they were haphazard. They were not, uh, there was not nearly as much time put into them. Not a knock. I mean, it was a video magazine. They were trying to put something out that was current. Is, is there any legacy spot that you would have loved to, to do something like this for? Uh, like a spot that's gone. Yeah. And I'm not talking about jumping in the DeLorean and going back and conducting it. But, you know, like maybe getting a reflection, a modern day reflection on a legacy skate spot. There's something with this series where... If a spot is almost so well known, it's kind of redundant to do it on that spot. Like, I don't want this to sound like I'm knocking anything to do with it because it's amazing. It still exists. But I don't think I could do this. I couldn't do a favorite spot on South Bank with someone because it's a spot that is like, it's kind of like part of the course as far as like skateboarding history goes. But as far as like a spot that's gone I can't really think of many. Like the Brooklyn Banks would be a really good one, obviously, but who would you, it's also that thing of like, who do you attribute it to? But that's something that I'm kind of conscious of with these things. It's like, is it almost remiss to attribute the spot to one person? There's a concern with these favorite spot things that is it almost remiss to attribute it to one skater alone? For instance, with LA High, Andrew Allen has done the most stuff there, probably. But then Spanky's done a lot of incredible things there, and Jerry Sue's done a lot of incredible things there too. So that's why I incorporated those guys into Fix. Yeah, to me, like the cool thing about this series is, or the way it's evolved, is there's spots that are well known. Like if you skate and you watch videos, you'll recognize them, but they're not too well known. You know what I mean? Like it's a, there's spots that skaters have developed. It sounds stupid to, you know, to talk, say like you have a relationship with like a, piece of marble or whatever but like they've developed relationships with them 
throughout their mm-hmm. careers and they're like their signature places to do their shit you know yeah absolutely because uh, i'm just thinking because you just mentioned something um because obviously i'm thinking about like pros or even just industry people who might take umbrage if they're left out of a certain story like i, yeah, I think you would true. have a problem like if you did like a it would be very obvious to do love park um and probably isn't necessary probably isn't necessary but i reckon that if you tried to do a love park joint without ricky oyola like you'd get some angry texts okay like, very least some, yeah. some dms yeah doing a favorite spot on love park it's like well okay so you could do kalis but you could also do stevie but you could also skip it forward 10 15 years and you could do any of the sabotage guys so there are spots where the the breadth of people tied to them is so vast that i do wonder if people would feel i mean i guess it would be kind of egotistical if a skater was pissed they weren't considered the guy for that spot i mean you talk to a lot of skateboarders there's a lot of big egos in it so you know it wouldn't surprise me one bit if you know any skater felt uh I don't know, I only really bother interacting with skateboarders so I get the vibe of I'm so egotistical or will be, like, nice to talk to. (laughs) But, I mean, like, in their defense, I mean, like, somebody like, like, it would be absurd, for example, if you decided to do something about EMB but decided you're not going to include either of the Carroll brothers? Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. wouldn't that invalidate the entire thing? Uh, You're not going to have Mike or Greg Carroll. I think, so the flip side of what I just said is, I think you can also do, you can do these things with specific skaters as long as you touch on, like, key points in the history of that spot. So, again, the Andrew Allen one, like, that had to have HDC line in it because uh, it's it's got the probably the best Switch 360 flip ever captured on video in the middle of it. But, yeah, so... Also, I remember it because, again, like I said, the DC video was the first video I ever saw. So, yeah, the, the first time I saw the bench was also the first time I saw LA High. That's only just hit me now. That's quite funny. So I think there are certain moments at spots where they have to be included in the series, which is, and for some, you know, I don't know if, I don't know what the earliest trick, the earliest documented stuff at LA High was. I know Mariano's stuff in Mouse is the one everyone goes back to, but it wasn't the first. I spoke to Tim Dowling about it. And he mentioned a couple of things that I can't think of off the top of my head. So yeah, there are. So I think as long as you point out the the ones that are important for that spot, so like the Mariano line at LA High and the like the Ave one, for instance. But then also like because it's a favorite spot thing, to an extent, the first trick that that skateboarder saw someone do on that spot is more important than whatever the first thing done on it in the first place was right because it's it's their story it's not like yeah it's their it's favorite their, spot it's not yeah this it's, is the it's history their, of this spot it's their story of that spot that's what was funny about the andrew allen one i saw a couple of comments being like oh austin's fakie flips a huge omission and like austin's fakie flip did come up when we were talking about the end of the spot it just didn't i think the audio actually fucked up a little bit so it wasn't all that clear but it didn't really work with putting it in but yeah we did talk about austin's fakie flip and a fun a fun fact about austin's fakie flip on la high my buddy andrew james peters just brought out a book called please don't forget this which is like a, a like a travel log he shot over the um film in a former's new audible refuge video and i interviewed austin for it and we talked about the previous form of the one before cheap perfume he'd done radiant cure where the end is the fakie flip on la high and he said that he was in san francisco and he got a 
photo of LA High with the fences put around it. And he drove from San Francisco back to LA the next morning, went and cut the fences, moved them around, and he did the fakie flip that day, having already tried it on a few occasions. That yeah, motivated the hell out of him. He was like, if I don't get this now, I might never be able to do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, it's just like, it's like Seki Presh times a thousand, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Going back to the green bench for a second, it's funny, like, how most good ideas start off, like, as a total fucking joke, like, oh, blind skateboards, because it's the opposite of vision, like, uh you know, (laughs) what was the genesis of the Andrew Allen installment here? Just, I really like the hockey videos, I really like Andrew Allen as a skater, I think that was a pretty obvious one, I feel like people probably saw the Andrew Allen one coming. If you could have probably guessed who was going to be in that series, you'd have probably guessed Max Palmer on the fountain and Andrew Allen on LA High. And so I'd always had Andrew in mind for a while for it. And uh, I interviewed Andrew for Andrew Allen for Slam City because I do stuff for their blog too. They run their like editorial side of things, kind of like an online mag. And I interviewed Andrew for that, and we talked about LA High there, not in great depth, but. I remember Andrew Peters had shot a photo of him doing a blunt flip and a photo of him on the floor, which ended up on the cover of Monster Children. So I knew there was something there to talk about at the time. And we touched on it really briefly. Like he mentioned the Mariano line and said that, you know, he thinks Spanky's probably the king of that spot and talked about how the blunt flip kicked his ass. And then I think after the Ave one, again, it was another case where vans were hyped on it. And again, it was like, if you want to talk to anyone, we'll put you in touch no sweat right um and kind of you know encourage him but not that it took any encouraging they just literally mentioned it and andrew was super super down for it so yeah there was no there was no like real out of the ordinary genesis it was just like his stuff in hockey two and ending hockey two and at the start of the hockey three parts really sick i really like those video parts i love everything that hockey and fa put out benny and cody make amazing videos and I just knew he was he's fun to talk to. And I just really wanted to elaborate on what I'd talked to him about in regards to LA High from that slam interview. So that was it, really. So do you have, a, like, I imagine these take a long time to come together because there's so many people involved and you got to, like, get footage from a bunch of different people. First of all, how long does one of these take to put together? And also, do you have, like, a bunch in various stages of production at all times? Or do you work um, them on work on them like one at a time uh they take fucking ages <laughs> sorry um they take a while yeah i would say they take i would say they usually take a month a month is probably the minimum to do it in ave took three because i was doing that in and out of a bunch of other stuff and that was always like i was working on it alongside a bunch of other things gilbert's i probably did in a month andrew allen's i had to do in two weeks Jeez. just to, I guess fit it into the programming so I'm still catching up on sleep from that one I actually sent that in at five in the morning half five in the morning on the day that it went live because my nice. laptop goes on standby if you leave it we transferring so it, it just I had to just watch we transfer go around until it sent to Costa <laughs> five o'clock in the morning dang <laughs> five in the morning, and then my girlfriend's alarm went off for work at seven and I think I woke up properly at like nine yeah, so they take they do take a while. I would say the general period on doing them is like a month. Usually, I've usually mapped out all the tricks and who's filmed them and put some inquiries in there before I've even got on the phone to do an interview with the person. So it gives you a bit of a head start there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would say, I guess the series has been going for like a year and there's been five. So I guess that's an average of like a two, two and a half, three-ish months per installment. So yeah, whether I'm working on one or I try to only work on them, I try not to spin plates and sort of like, if I have one of those coming up, I would, I like to only work on that just because I think that one of those things that I have to stay with or I'll kind of forget what I'm doing with it or the idea I had for it or the way I wanted it to look and I'll get very very wrapped up in them as well so it's kind of hard to you know break off and do a work on a different piece in the meantime they're also really fun like they're really really fun which is probably part of why I get so wrapped up in editing them and so if there's I'd say there's always one in the background, whether it's being worked on actively or not. If I've finished one and I'm working on other stuff while I'm having a bit of a breather from staring at Premiere Pro every day for however long, I'll be saying to Costa, like, let's maybe do this person next. I'll, we'll make a start on it by this date. And then when I've done some written stuff for whoever it's for and that's kind of out the way and I've got nothing lined up, that's when I, like, jump into it. Like, I like to be able to put, like, all my attention on them. Right. I just imagine that there's a lot of waiting. You know, you have to gather so many pieces from so many different people. That... You'd be surprised. All the filmers who have contributed to them have been great. Will Rosenstock sent a bunch of stuff for the Gilbert one straight away. And then with the Ave one, Greg sent a bunch of all that archival stuff, which again was amazing to see, you know, like DC video first bit and all that. So yeah, Greg like dished all that. He found that stuff so quick. I was kind of amazed. I guess yeah, I mean, it's like blows if, my if mind. anyone's gonna have their stuff archived well, it's definitely gonna be Greg Hunt. Yeah, but, for uh, sure. yeah, Greg found that super quick, and that was pretty amazing to see. Benny and Cody at FA, they're great with sending stuff over. The way it kind of goes is like I'll send the list of everything to Costa. Costa will pass it on to the person or people, and then it'll it'll go from there. The Dick Rizzo one was majority film by paul young so shout out to the god paul young yeah paul's great paul is really fucking great costa knows paul so that was that was no sweat to get stuff sent over and then likewise the dudes at huff who contributed some stuff to that they sent it over super fast and then max was all mostly johnny and again he's a friend of costa so that was really easy not all johnny mostly johnny some there's some logan lara stuff in there and then again yeah andrew allen like all benny and cody like straight away i was just thinking that's like so impressive because if if you came to me looking for footage i'd be like i don't know man i got like a box full of tapes i have no idea where any of the tricks are you know it's going to take me months to dig through those you know like i'm so impressed that everybody else is well organized (laughs) do you uh do you have a day job while you're playing navigating all these moving parts to uh um attend skateboarding, to uh, there you go well, skateboarding journalism slash journalism in general is my full-time job thanks so, um yeah i mostly work in skateboarding which is quite astounding that that worked out and um, when, when do you find time to skate all the fucking time that's why i do this job like okay. it's the it's the job that means i can skate the most like i'm self-employed well I am now. I'm starting a full-time job, but that's a writing job within skating as well. But yeah, one, <laughs> one, one. I mean, it sounds quite naive to say it, but one motivating factor of continuing to do this is it's like the job that gives me the most time possible to skate when I want to. And I don't know it's one of those like the 
the more I enjoy my job, the more I enjoy skateboarding, the more I enjoy skateboarding, the more I enjoy my job. So yeah, like I, I skate as much as possible. I probably skate three or four times a week, try to go filming as much as possible. I've got like a, a few good friends who are all filmers who are working on videos. They've just put a bunch out, they just put two out actually. So yeah, skateboarding is the day job, miraculously. Living the dream. Yeah, I'm thankful for it because, you know, it's you hear people constantly be like, oh, you know, you need to figure out something else because skateboarding is not going to pay your bills. And I mean, I'm not flush, but I, like, I pay my rent and I pay my bills from what I make from writing. And I've only in the last year or so actually started doing non-skate writing work. But yeah, the vast majority of it's been in skating and it, it kind of blows my mind. It often seems like it should be the other way around. But no, I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful it worked out the way it did. Well, you're good. So you, you deserve <laughs> it. Yeah, it certainly helps to be talented at, uh, at something that you enjoy. Um, I'm absolutely flush with jealousy. But you, it, as you've just illustrated, you work incredibly hard. Um, you put a ridiculous amount of time into all of this. So, you know, especially you being based in the north of England um, mm -hmm. and with skating becoming increasingly globalized and with skate media taking on a much, much, much more global perspective, is there any part of you that wishes you could come out to say like a California or New York or Philly to continue doing this work? Or do you find that being where you are allows you to have a sense of distance and perspective or like, does it even appeal to you like to be like, hey, come out to Southern California or up to the Bay Area to come just do the skateboarding thing? California doesn't really appeal to me. Uh, but I like if I like could feasibly move to New York in a heartbeat, I would. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of what you're asking me there feels like, would I get what I can kind of draw out of that is like, would I get jaded if I was so connected to it in that way? Yes, that yeah. is the question. And I don't think so. I, yeah, I really don't think so. But I, yeah, I've no like part of part of staying in the north of England isn't to not get jaded on it. Like I just like I like it up here. I I like the architecture. I like the people. I like the mentalities. I like the history of it. Like I there's a really good scene where I live in Leeds, and I like all that. I feel like everyone talks shit on like not talk shit. Everyone will like bash their hometown spots, which is natural because you skate something all your life. You're gonna get a little bit bored of it, even if you can't really imagine it not being there. And like I love all the spots in. The city I live, so yeah, I've not I've not really got any interest in moving really anywhere else. I lived in Manchester for a couple of years. That was cool. I was pretty like infatuated with Manchester's musical history, which is part of why I moved there. But also, I I really liked the skate scene there. Manchester's got one of the best skate scenes in England, and Joe Gavin needs some credit here because I don't know how many people know know of Joe Gavin outside of outside of England. Like, you guys know Dom Henry, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of yep. course. Right. Dom Henry rides for a skate shop called No in Manchester. Joe Gavin also rides for a skate, the same skate shop. Joe Gavin is probably the most talented skateboarder in the north of England, bar maybe Harry Lintel because he's fucking gnarly and also lives in Manchester. But Joe is an amazing skateboarder. He's a really nice person and he's creative as fuck. He, can, he makes amazing skate videos, which I really recommend looking up. He made a documentary on one of the most famous spots in the history of Manchester called Gasworks, which is on his Vimeo. Like, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. That's a great watch. He actually, fuck, on this note, he uh, like a short thing that was just called Manchester Spots, and it was 
holy fuck, have I just subconsciously realised where this favourite spot thing came from? <laughs> Joe did a thing that was people on the phone talking about various skate spots in Manchester overlaid of footage. And I watched it years ago and I've only just remembered it exists somehow. Yeah, so and so alongside that, he does a hardware brand called Maybe and he does all the artwork and stuff for that. He's just like the most multifaceted skateboarder. And I was a big fan of his skateboarding, a big fan of his videos and other Manchester videos by a guy called Sean Lomax. The most recent video he made was one called Cottonopolis, which is really good. And Joe's got Enders in that. Dom Henry's got a part in it. Uh, Lintel's in it. And Sean Lomax, who made that, also made also made Harry Lintel's Thrasher part, which came out semi-recently. The Northern Grit one. So, um, oh, go on, please. I was just going to say, so yeah, so to go back to the original thing, like Northern skateboarding appeals to me a lot. And I moved to Manchester for a bit because I really liked the skate scene there. I liked a lot of the skaters from there, and I liked the music history of it, like the factory records. What was the uh, was the hacienda still open when you lived there? Or no, was that long gone? No, that went so long. <laughs> <laughs> no, that thing's long gone. It's like uh, it's it's just like apartments now. Oh uh, yeah, the, hacienda, like the hacienda flats. I think Peter Hook. I think Peter Hook owns the naming rights to the hacienda. Like when factory went into receivership and they were dividing out all of the assets that he came up on that. So yeah, there's a there's like <laughs> there's like a there's a nightclub in Manchester and it's it's literally everyone's like first night out in Manchester type of nightclub called Factory that's in the it's in what used to be the Factory Records offices. Oh, nice. So actually, uh, as a, as a brief detour um, to Manchester music, uh, favorite record and favorite label. Favorite record, favorite label, favorite band. Uh, favorite factory, okay. uh, low life by New Order and New Order. I actually skated to a New Order song from Low Life in my friend Joe's video, which just came out. Uh, it's called Patonk. Um, yeah, and I skated to a New Order track in that, which was kind of an obvious. I felt it was obvious, but then Nick Jensen skated to True Faith in Vars, and somehow that hadn't been used beforehand. So we just ran with the New Order track that I wanted to skate to from Low Life. Which was what? It was the perfect kiss. Excellent choice. Damn, dude. Someone's going to fucking tell me this is in a video part now. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough these days. So do you have, yeah. uh, do you have a favorite, a new favorite spots in production or in, in the works? I'm fairly certain who the next one is going to be. I haven't, like, yeah, I'm pretty certain I know who the next one's going to be. And Costa seemed down for it too. But I, I probably, I don't think I'll start working on it till maybe January because I'm so fried from looking at Premiere Pro for the past two weeks. <laughs> I think around December time, I'll probably start putting things in motion for the next one. And then I would like to think it'll hopefully come out January, maybe February at push. We look forward to it. Yeah, I'd say who, it, I don't really want to say who it is just because I think it's nice when there's, I hate it. I, I, I'm not trying to be like deliberately coy or anything. I just think it's kind of nice when there's a little bit of surprise with when these things oh yeah up. totally oh no yeah. Like, I, kind of, I kind of teased that andrew allen was going to be the next one not that fucking anyone would have probably taken notice because costa posted that excerpt from the ave one where he's on the phone to andrew so that was i guess intended as a little bit of a teaser that andrew was going to be the next one all right people keep an eye out for um subtle teasers from quarter snacks and fair and we're trying to figure <laughs> out what the next favorite spots is going to be yeah, I've never skated one of the spots in the thing. I've skated Tompkins. Does that count? The green bench is there now. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, uh, like, the one time I went to L.A., 
I was trying to find the USC ledges, but I didn't know they were at USC. This is in like 1998, you know, so like I couldn't really look it up on the internet. So like <clears throat> I was at Fairfax High one morning and Ave comes by like solo. We we're like, you know, what's up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like I asked him, like, do you know where those ledges are that are kind of like slanted? Because the USC ledges were slanted. And he was like, I mean, the brick ones, I was like, nah, like, but like, I don't know. I couldn't verbalize it. So I just like went off and skated. <laughs> I guess I could have gone that, that wasn't a dummy. Something that's quite funny about working on the favorite spot things is like I get really into skating similar spots to whichever the thing is that I'm working on. Oh, I think it's funny. just a con- I think it's just a consequence of staring at them for so long. So there's there's these banks in the city I live that you kind of can't ride up them. The bricks are overset in a weird way so that if you go up them it if you you can ollie into them and you can do tricks from the flat into them and come down so yeah if you do tricks down them it makes like a firecrackery sound and if you're loose enough and light foot enough you can you can get up them but you can't do much i've like done a nolly half cab on one which i don't really understand how it's pan round but uh yeah when i was that spot i've gone past it for god knows how long and we just never bothered skating it. It was always like, oh, yeah, you can't really skate them. You can't ride up them because of the way the bricks are set. And then whilst working on the max one, I was like, I'm going to go skate this firecrackery spot. Fuck it. It looks fun. And towards the latter end of summer, it became like the spot we skated the most. Um, and, just re- and, and yeah, that was definitely a consequence of like watching Max firecracker that fountain every day for like a few weeks. And I think then, that makes uh, sense. Because I was watching the Andrew Allen one, and I was like, man, I want to skate a bank ledge like that. Because I really like skating those kind of things. Likewise, there's these, like, orange brick. There's this bank spot, another bank spot that's made of orange bricks that's pretty steep, and it's it's literally just, like, a shit version of LA High. Like, I'll I'll send you guys a photo of it. It tears your board to pieces. You kind of have to plan going there. Like, you pretty much want to skate there when your board's nearly done because it'll rip a new one to shreds. The ground's all jacked. The tarmac's coming up. It's always covered in pigeon shit. And yeah, I've definitely had a few times in the past where I've watched, like way prior to working on this, would watch a, would watch like a hockey video and then want to go skate those things because of Andrew's footage there. And then <laughs> to literally today, at my local park, there's a curved ledge, like 90 degree angle, real long curved ledge that most people sit on and use it as a bench. But every so often if you go there on a quiet morning, there's no one sat on it so you can skate it. And I started trying to switch frontside board slide around it last week and got nowhere near and then started trying it again today and got like, I did a pretty shit one, which didn't really travel the length of it. And uh, I was like, great, now I'm stuck in my own fucking curved ledge thing. This is going to go on for three weeks. It begins. It's a takeover. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to fucking paint this thing green. So that might encourage me to get around it. <laughs> you're becoming obsessed by the subject matter. It's like, uh, you're like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, in which film? Oh, it was like it was just an actor. Yeah, just like he goes hard body with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, his projects take forever, but um, the amount of research and the method acting that he does to get into the headspace and get into the look, same thing. It's happening to you now, though. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. Although, the one that I've got in mind for the next spot, there is nothing similar to that spot anywhere I live. So, yeah, it, that uh, that might not happen with the next one. There's your first clue, people. What's it going to be? <laughs> Yeah, could you ever see Pier 7 being a um, a favorite spot? As soon as I started seeing that footage of Suchu pop up over the last month or so of him skating Pier 7, I was like, oh, hang on a minute, this, there, there might be something here. But uh, 
And then when I put his new part on, I had the exact same thought. I was like, wow, there's, it's nice to see a chunk of this one specific spot in that part. I don't know. Obviously, all of that suits you stuff is really, it's really recent. So I don't know if you could necessarily, I don't know if there would be enough footage to do it with him. I think as well for the purpose of like, the way a Pier 7 one would probably have to work is that I have to do it with Rob Welsh, which would be fun because I like Rob Welsh. Big fan of the, the, the no slide hench pop out. A Pier 7 one would have to probably be Rob Welsh, but see what suits you does over the coming years there, I guess. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the Pier 7 stuff in in Suchu's new part was great. Like that thing looks so fun to skate. I don't, I, maybe it's one of those spots that you go to in person and is bigger than it looks, but it looks like a spot that you see and every trick you could want to do on it that you're capable of doing, I feel like you could go there and do. Yeah, it's, it's a little cramped and I went there on a family trip in 98 and it wasn't as busy. Carl Watson and a few other regulars were there. But um, the intimidation factor coupled with the fact that it's a busy, at the time it was a very, very busy spot. So it almost kind of feels like now would probably be a better time to actually really go and dig in because it's no longer, it's no longer the carryover or the successor to, to EMB. When I say that I feel like you could do any trick that you're confident doing on it, I say that actually in terms of manuals because that thing looks so fucking round. Like it doesn't look fun to lock into. Like for slides... In fact, not even like tail or no slides, it's that round. I feel like you ever skip, you ever do like blunt slides on a round ledge and it works because it's a really round ledge. Right. Whereas nothing else really locks in. Yeah, the edges of it look like they'd be, you'd struggle to stay on that. It was actually one thing I kind of wanted to talk about, but I guess we've moved past the point of it now. But like the editing process for the favorite spots is quite extensive. And a lot of that comes down to the audio, actually. Yeah. Do you edit the audio first and then you just cover it with video? I think that's probably how I would do it. So yeah, the the process for putting them together is I do the interview and then I do a text edit of the interview. And as I'm doing a text edit of it, I'm striking through things that were this going to be a text interview that I would cut. And as I'm doing that, I also make notes, get ideas of things that might work in the edit. So I'm going through it, editing the text, cutting things out, marking what's going to go, making little like timestamps and notes of what might work when it comes to putting it in a timeline once the text edit's done drop the audio in adobe audition chop out every single like and um and uh just like bits where people stumble over their words things like that and clean it all up and trim it down to the bare bones of what i think is the audio that's going to go in the piece and then from there it goes in the timeline and then i go back to the document that's the transcription of their interview, which has all the notes on it. By this point, it looks like something you could very, very loosely call a screenplay. <laughs> very generously call that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I start working from that and putting things together. But generally, the editing the audio takes so long, usually, because I am I try and be... I, try, I mean, they're not perfect, but I try and make them really clean. But that takes so long that by the time I've done it, basically got it all mapped out how i want it to look and then they come together quite naturally when it comes to dropping it in a timeline like things lead on another thing and yeah the audio is the longest sorting the audio is probably the longest part of it and then when it comes to doing the video it just flows pretty well because i've spent so long listening to it back and back and back that i pretty pretty much know how i want it to look and i would say 90 percent of the time it, it, it comes out how i kind of picture them coming out whilst i'm editing the audio Nice. Yeah, editing audio is a huge pain in the ass. 
if I could hire anybody, I would, I would hire an editor so that I would, wouldn't have to edit. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Suchu, which we were speaking about a second ago. <laughs> um, Sorry. <clears throat> all good. A new Suchu part always calls for discussion. Blue Dog clocks in at 4 minutes and 19 seconds and is a straight skate part with no obvious concept other than just ripping skating. Patrick, is that enough or do we expect more from Mark Suchu? I think it's a perfect time. I think that Verso was a little bit overlong and maybe even a bit self-indulgent. This was perfect. I know a couple people were pointing out that um, this is late period Susie and the Banshees. And what I think is really cool about this is that you can kind of see the nostalgia clock ticking. Uh, because if it had been five or ten years ago, you would have had John McGeeock era Susie and the Banshees. So like uh, Juju, like early 80s, um, or like around that time where Robert Smith was kind of starting to come into uh, Susie and the Banshees orbit. Anyway, I feel like he's grown on me. I don't really know what it is. Um, I guess I never paid too much attention to him. I always thought there were cooler people um, in the Habitat Alien Workshop sphere, but I guess it, it's like his omnipresence. You know, it's like you keep seeing more and more and more footage of him. I've been enjoying it more. And I don't mind the pants, although that must be cool to be able to skate in like nice raw denim. I mean, Jason, Farron, what did you, what did you guys think about this part? I thought it was great. I really liked it. I really liked Verso too. Like, I'm I'm quite a big Suchu fan. Uh, I thought Verso was good. I think it was cool that he followed it up with something that was more bare bones, straightforward part. But to be honest, I think maybe with Verso, I think people placed more onto the whole chiasmus thing at the end than Suchu himself probably did. Like, I mean, I'm not claiming to be like, it's like. We're not like mates or anything, but I've interviewed him a few times and I don't think he strives to be this like creative genius that people maybe paint him as I think he had one idea for a video part and was quite serious about how it was put into a video part. I think the the weight people put on it is maybe even more than the weight he probably put on that himself. Um but that said, no, it was nice after you know that part, which was like a, a one man full length that he did a just a straight four-minute fun part. I liked it. I always also liked that it was a, there was a lot of accessible ledges in it. Like a lot of, I mean, you always watch a video and go, oh, I could probably skate that ledge. But a lot of the time, if you went there in person, you're probably like, oh, it's higher than I expected. But there was a lot of a lot of ledges in there that look really accessible and fun. And he's doing a lot of really hard but still intricate skating on them. It was almost like an accessible suit you part, I guess. I mean, I get pretty hyped watching him skate anyway, and I'll go try some weird wrong way in, wrong way out thing sometimes as a result of watching him, but no, I thought it was really enjoyable. And uh, I was just going to say, I think it's kind of understated how much pack I was in Suchu skating. Like there's a, I probably just sound like a big fanboy now, but obviously, you know, he's a, he's a tech dude. He like pretty notable for the like back breaker grinds and whatnot. But I think there's a lot of power in his skating, which has come through in recent years, especially like Verso onwards, like that Ollie in Portugal, maybe. The one he pushes up to that no one had done before. Yeah, it's like a bump to flat and then like, like, like eight thing, stairs or something. That thing is fucking huge. And I've only ever seen people get dragged in on a motorcycle to be that thing. And he pushed up to it. So I think there's a... It's funny, maybe I'm just drawing a connection here because because of it. But when I did five favorite parts with him for Quarter Snacks, he mentioned Huff's skate more part. And I feel like I've seen that influence on his skating kind of now like i see that there's i think there's a lot of power in his skating which maybe gets not as much attention as it definitely definitely should get yeah case in point the that whole jfk bank series which is 
like impossible, like that 270 to, uh, I guess, switch backside lip slide or whatever. Like, I've never seen anyone do that anywhere, not even like in a park, let alone a bank that's like fucking impossible to skate. So, yeah, I think he is kind of like deceptively powerful. Um, he does have a reputation as kind of like a, like a twinkle toes ledge dancer or whatever, but like, this year, last year at Verso, he was like, you know, both barrels blazing for Sodi or whatever. This year, he's kind of like, you know what? Just in case you forgot what my name is, it's the Sush. You know what I mean? I'm still. <laughs> Sorry. Still ripping. But yeah, like he was never really like a Jason Lee, Nate Jones style guy. You know, he he was he's always been a trick guy, like going back to that, uh, that fucking the Ghostbusters part, which you can you can look up. It's like when he was like a Grom just doing all, all this crazy shit. It's like cool to see because he can obviously do pretty much anything that he can conceive on a skateboard. So like this year, it's just cool to see like what's coming out of his mind. You know what I mean? At this point. And speaking of JFK, um, I don't think people realize people who are outside of New York city realize how far that spot is from where most people or most skaters hang out. Like it isn't a dedicated trek there and um and the world's fairgrounds in Queens. Like you're not just casually rolling up. Like it's a mission. You are I mean that JFK spot there. is at the airport. Like I know it's at the you have airport. To go but the to airport, the airport is far. <laughs> but it's also like it's like I don't know. I've never even thought about skating an airport cuz there's just 24 hour action and security and whatever. It just seems like inconceivable that you would be able to have a legitimate session at an airport because i I remember going to jfk and seeing those banks and being like it'd be cool if that was skatable but it's at an airport so it's not yeah like post 9 11 like you figure like you're gonna end up in some sort of like a camp x-ray guantanamo bay just like what you in for it's like man i skated these banks (laughs) like the i think it was the trick after that front three 270 to back lip thing on the bank you saw came out the next trick was Switch back lip 270 into a cellar door, well, on a legend to a cellar door. I think it was like the immediate follow on trick, and that was nice. I really liked that. Yeah, that's like a classic cellar door trick, I feel like. I mean, back lip 270 out the wrong way always look well. The, actually, I've never seen anyone back three out one, but yeah, back lip 270 out back on yourself always looks good. Were lip slides, uh, there were definitely back tails on the Pier 7 ledges, but were there any lips like prominent lip slides during peak Pier 7, like back when it was known as the new spot? Or was that part of that whole Forbidden 14 thing? Oh, nah. fuck the Forbidden 14. <laughs> wow. Hey, oh, shots fired. I'm a strong, <laughs> strong advocate for board and lip slides on ledges, like, especially if it's, yeah, back lips, especially, or all slides where people nolly out of them. I love that trick. Yeah, both of those are cool. I'll I don't lie. think I don't think there was really a forbidden fourteen vibe at at the pier. I think that's more like a like a Boston invention, like a semi uh, facetious type thing. Like there's footage of Rob Wells doing lip sides like up the stairs, like on the ledge up the stairs and shit. So yeah, I don't think there was there was that vibe. But um, yeah, did yeah, Rob last... Wells do lip side to Noseblind at Pier Seven? Yeah, I oh, believe yeah, you're right. so. Didn't and Henry Sanchez had a couple a couple lip side tricks in his sight unseen part, right? I think so. Not a hundred percent, but yeah, probably. Yeah, it, it's and actually like back to Suchu. Um, I want to know like what is his core regiment because like have you guys noticed like when he does a back tail or when he does any trick out of a lip slide? That's like his control is 
flawless and it feels like he's doing very 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 little and like it's i'm like just noticing his posture like what is he doing like what is his like like what is it about his stance or his strength that he's able to do that like it seems effortless saying that you just remind i mean it's not a back tail it's a front tail but with what you're saying about the the dismount from a tail slide into a next trick seamlessly in a instance day one Buznitz does front tail on a ledge at third and army and then weaves out and does a front nose blunt on a ledge and then weaves out again and does backside flip fakey manny revert maybe and um yeah what you're saying about suchi like applies to that Buznitz line it's the same like methodology same technique yeah speaking of you know skaters in the same vein we've talked about tom knox last week and i don't know if there's like there's not really competition but they are kind of same up op- kind of like operating in the same space you know what i mean like we talked about the atric line last week and sushu has also an atric line at that one spot where he does like the switch wally 180 and then a bunch of tricks over like lamps and then like switch one heel flip blah 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 yeah I've, I've talked to tom about that comparison before um, oh yeah i did an interview with him for slam that was called lineage and it was an entire interview about tom knox and line skating and the gist of it was that he picked five lines from various videos and I asked him questions about them. And then I picked five from his output over the years and asked him questions about them. And he, uh, when he, <laughs> when he sent me the list of other people's lines, he sent me like specific examples of every skater for Like he was like skater video part line. But then at the end, he just put suit you like full stop. Yeah. The one he kind of honed in on was that one that he does a, uh, uh, Milan ledges inverso and Tom was saying how he's pretty astounded that he just like keeps going like adds keeps adding another thing to it and then at the end the cherry on top is like he does a switch flip back tail then shoves out so yeah Tom was pretty humble about it he was like I've heard people compare us before but I think <laughs> near word for word Tom was like I'm just not that fucking good at skateboarding <laughs> and like kind of are like you really are <laughs> yeah he's good Tom you're good he's all right he's okay yeah the fakey 360 flip to 50 down the stairs to 50 50 is that's pretty good oh, i just got a message there my internet connection's unstable can you hear me okay yeah 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 any descent into a grind is nuts like i always find crooked grinding a ledge that's that you don't immediately place your truck on like a low ledge where you almost pop and then land onto the crook it just saps it away like that alone's weird so then dropping into a grind is pretty nuts and then fake 360 flipping a bunch of stairs to land in a grind is insane like the precision of it and you know if you hit that ledge hard enough your truck's probably going to take a chunk out of it and you're just going to get booked backwards right yeah pitched into the stairs nowhere to put your feet yeah a lot can go wrong the thing about tom noxo is his his spot selection is like 50 percent or more of his whole shit like i think i said this a year ago like he what do you what do you call like a project in england a council flat or something uh I guess, like, maybe, yeah, council estates. Yeah, yeah council estate. Something. Like, he, oh, like, starts at the top of one, like, does some shit down the stairs. Does whole, he does a line through the whole project, you know? Mm-hmm. So his spot selection is so, like, English. It's, like, you know, for lack of a better word, I don't know. It becomes part of his whole, like, aura. You know, and, like, he's doing all these crazy tech tricks and lines and shit, like, in some alley where, like, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle smoked opium or something, you know? <laughs> it's crazy I, i'm trying to picture these two, two things happening in real time 
just uh, some writer just like uh, just hanging out doing his thing, looking at him. It's like, damn, he's wilding on that board. Yeah, or like uh, Virginia, you know, you know what I mean. Ledges that have been around for like six hundred years and shit. It's yeah, crazy. actually, I wanted to touch upon that part uh, because um, on the most recent episode of Mostly Skateboarding, I talked about skating. You know, skating St. Paul's down in London, uh, where Tom Knox filmed his part, and there's plenty of spots all over all over the UK and certainly all over Europe uh, that are ancient, but. Um, Farron, where are some places, um, particularly in the north of England, where you can find like brand new, like basically new cities, like places that were built after the Second World War to handle the population boom or, or to replace damaged property? Like where are some places which is like all concrete, modern architecture, like South Bank on steroids? Probably Milton Keynes is the only example I can think of, which you'll have definitely seen stuff of, a spot called the Buzzy. Uh, which is like a per- pro- possible, I think it was the first purpose-built skate spot in the UK. That seems right. Probably like a really early example of that. But yeah, I couldn't really say like my geography is not great and history isn't great. I couldn't say, as you're saying, sort of like post-World War II, new towns, cities being built and whatnot. I would say like speaking more broadly, I guess redevelopment hits the north of England lesser so than it does London. So there's probably like much old maybe much older architecture up here just because there's less money coming to the north historically so things don't get redeveloped as frequently um but yeah i couldn't say as far as like new cities being built or whatever sorry milton Keynes, shout out rob selly my favorite uk skater of all time sick i don't want to go over there goodness yeah because that's like a brand new like from scratch right so they built they built the buzzy to essentially replicate the architecture around milton Keynes. I did a piece on Milton Keynes skateboarding history for Slam City that was told through like a photo story shot by Leo Sharp, who used to be Sidewalk's staff photographer and now does skateboarder's companion, and Wick Walland, who was Sidewalk's original photographer. And I mean, I'm sure you you probably know that name. Yeah, um, totally. No, hell yeah. So yeah, they're both from Milton Keynes originally, and they there was an exhibition in Milton Keynes a couple of years ago that was essentially celebrating Milton Keynes' skateboarding heritage. So they were like really deeply involved in it, and I did the story with those guys as kind of a, a to tie into all that. So the, if you want to know anything about Milton Keynes' skateboarding history, look up that article. Um, it kind of those two covered it basically, start to present. Why can't we have that? Like DC offered City of Philadelphia one million bucks to help renovate Love Park, and the City Council said no. Y'all are having a whole festival dedicated to skateboard heritage with the yeah, participation the- of the city. The Milton Keynes thing is kind of weird because although that's a purpose-built skate spot, it's, it's a purpose-built skate spot that has also been somewhat skate-stopped. Hmm. So the building it's outside of is an old bus station. No, partly an old bus station, and there's other components, other areas of the building, and someone recently bought the building, and you used to be able to hit the buzzy end of that spot and like loop, like fly down to the other side. So you could do lines into and out of the main spot itself, and due to... I guess people who were using the space that had been bought for whatever business had bought it, getting annoyed at skateboarders flying past. They put blind bumps and uh, like bollards on both entrances in inverted commas to the skate spot. So you can no longer fly down the sides of the buildings and do lines into them. And that's what that piece I did with Wigan Leo kind of concludes talking about. Well, we've got actual skate parks here that have skate stoppers on the outside. So you guys are still better off than we are. Yeah, uh, what is it? Is it um, Westchester Park um, near LAX that has, there's one ledge there that has skate stoppers on it or there's a curb nearby? There's one in Portland that literally like part of the built 
skate park, like the outside, there's a ledge, and they put skate stoppers on it. And that's yeah, you you mentioned to me, that before. It's the only they, thing uh, that was skatable there. They knobbed the flat. Yeah, there's another park where they knobbed the flat, like like a a ledge, like a just like a planter, like I don't get level it. with the ground, and they they knobbed it. Or is it like an organized crime thing? Like, uh, you know, does like, uh, is there like a group of skate stop manufacturers? Like, listen, we want a taste of this new park. You got to skate stop something. There's a, there's a street spot near where I live. It's an orange bank that has this weird blue grate on it. And you can kind of get onto the deck in. So you can either slide over the grate or you can do many tricks on the deck in, like out and back in. Or you can kind of skate part of it as a hip. Or you can go off the side of it and hit the side of this building as like a really short, almost out ledge. And we used to skate it fairly frequently, never really got kicked out. And then it got knobbed, but you could still kind of skate it. And then I guess because they realized they'd skate stopped it and people could still skate it, they decided to skate stop it on top of the skate stoppers. So originally it was just small metal, almost like button sized skate stoppers they put on it. And then when they failed to work, they decided to put spikes on it. Hmm. Like metal spikes, like yeah, it's like defensive architecture or whatever it's called. But like the the abhorrent shit that you use to stop like homeless people being able to right. find some shelter somewhere, like that terrible shit. Yeah, and they put it on the spot. And I remember rolling in town one day by myself, and I was like, "Oh, that bank's been skate stop, but you can still skate it." I'll just go see what it's like now. And there's a curb just before the bank, and I popped up the curb, and just before I was about to go up the bank. I clocked that they they knobbed it again, and there were these spikes on it. So I nearly like rolled my ankle jumping off my board before going up the bank. But yeah, that it's. I'll send you guys a photo of it. It's one of the most ridiculous. It like I think I tweeted this like and I was like bar removing the skate spot entirely is like the most amount of skate stopping you could inflict on a spot. At least we're hurting their pocketbook, you know. At least we're making them pay. That's how I see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you I have anything I, more I to say about Suchu? I think I had just one more question. Um, Farron, you had conducted a lengthy interview with Mark for Slam City Skates. Now, there are a lot of really bright and clever pros. Do you count Mark as one of them, or is he just very chatty? Yeah, he's both of those things. Like He's certainly clever, yeah, and he's very talkative, too. I've interviewed him three times. That Slam one, that went on for like three hours. And then Five Favorite Parts for Quartz Snacks, that was like an hour long. And then I interviewed him for another thing I'm working on this publication that'll come out at some point it's not a mag it's like a like a case study of sorts i'm writing and yeah every time he had plenty to say i mean granted it was different subject matters but i mean by the third time be like jesus i've talked to this dude three times in the space of six months <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah he still had plenty to say every time yeah well one more thing about stushu like some skaters like day one their whole thing is they only skate spots in whatever like a five mile radius of their house or whatever with Sushu, though, like his whole personal brand is like the travel. It's all about the travel, like whether Love Park or Houston or SF or Milan, just like drop them into a city and it'll fucking destroy it, you know, which is kind of tight. Like, it, again, it's tight to see what comes out of his mind at these spots that we've seen hundreds, thousands of times. Yeah, I wonder if he needs like new stimulation to <laughs> come up with new new tricks. And it's funny, his, the spot for his ender, that front blunt, that's in my hometown. But I've never seen that spot before. That's been built after I left. Yeah, um, a homie, shout out Brunt. Shout out the homie Brunt from down there. He said that spot is impossible. Like, he, he knew of it as a spot, but front side blunt side on it is apparently impossible. 
there you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll be stoked to check that out next time I'm uh, visiting my parents. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Farron, I don't see you having a stoked on in the notes here. Are you stoked on anything this week? No, yeah, I'm stoked on plenty. I just didn't have it. I didn't have a chance to jot it down in the notes. I'm stoked on my friends who are filmers. My One of my best friends, Joe Allen, just brought out a video called Patonk that's got, he's got a part in it. He's possibly got the best part in it, but he's too humble to ever acknowledge that. And um, a few other close friends from Leeds are in it. It's an hour long, came out on DVD, comes with a zine, and that's available at the Palomino Club, Welcome Skate Store, and a few other shops around really this end of the And, and uh, then my other friend, Will Smith, who's a pro snowboarder, who he snow so he snowballed with Sparrow Knox, Tom's brother, mm-hmm. and Joe, who filmed the previous video I mentioned. He went on a snowboard trip with him quite a while ago for a video they put out called Mates. But Will's a really good skater too, and a good filmer. So he just made another full length video called Assembly too. That's great. That's coming out sometime soon. We had the premieres for both of them like a week apart, and it was the first time any of us had been to events in God knows how long. So that was really fun. And then. My friend Josh Hallett, who's a filmer for Welcome Skate Store, he's slowly but surely wrapping up their next shot video, which I know will be great. I'm looking forward to seeing that early next year. So yeah, stoked on friends who are filmers. Sick. Shout out to the filmers. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on Venture Trucks, a little hard goods company out there in San Francisco, California. Stoked on a movie, uh, the new Dune movie that just came out. A lot of the time when they make a movie out of a book, like it's really hard to make the visuals like gnarlier than your imagination, you know, but they, uh, they did a really good job. I don't know. It's just fucking sick. I'd probably recommend it. And also stoked on a little Instagram post that Josh, Josh Kalis made. It's like a super, super rapid fire edit from that Clemente DIY. I mean, he's gotta be, he's gotta be, top five Michigan athletes of all time. It's like Tom Brady, Woodson, Kalis, and like, I don't know who four and five are. But yeah, that's pretty inspirational, just like that other DIY party put out a little while ago, probably a year ago. Uh, Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? I'm stoked on a lot. Uh, I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels. I revisited Suchu's uh, commercial from 2020. It's like a little 41-second joint. That was really fun. I'm also enjoying a relatively new Instagram account called History Was Made at Night. It is dedicated exclusively to night footy, which is my favorite. Uh, Jason, it is up your alley because it's very, very, very world kid heavy. No, um, that's me. That's my wheelhouse. There you go. It's good. It's really good. They just dropped a quiz that was impossible. The guy or the person, I'm not sure who it is, uh, the person who's running it uh, gave some clues to help you differentiate between night footage and day footage that was shot at the World Park. Um, I'm stoked on Warning Skate Shop down in South Central. I you know, fell down not too far from the shop and got road rash on my hand and I'm going to a wedding in a couple of hours. So my hand is all bandaged up. Uh, but shout out to them for letting me come in and clean myself up, even though, <laughs> um, you know, I just ran in the shop and just like bathroom ASAP. Um, prayers up for Stephen Callis, uh, who was brutally assaulted while doing his job as a trucker somewhere out in Indiana. Menace legend, street legend, guy had cleaned up his life and was doing real well. Uh, honestly, prayers up for him. And uh, if you can donate yes, some sir. money to his GoFundMe, please do, because man, he needs us. And finally, I am stoked on the new Velvet Underground documentary, which was absolutely beautifully done. I wasn't sure what the hell to expect, but the amount of footage that they licensed and all the Jonathan Richmond stuff in there, amazing. And finally, Templeton. 
What you stoked on? I am stoked on Cole Nowicki's Substack. He writes about skateboarding every week, and he's a, just a really good writer. So if you, you know, if you like the four of us, you'll probably like this. So that'll be linked in the show notes. I don't even know what the link is. It's just Cole Nowicki's Substack. Uh, that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for so many links uh, this week and uh, to the things that we talked about in other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Patrick, where can the people find you? Y'all can find me on Instagram and on Clubhouse at PKGongo or on Twitter at Colonel K Speaks. Farron, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh can find me writing and making favorite spot pieces for quarter snacks and writing for slam city skates uh you can find me on instagram at farron golding on twitter at farron underscore golding and on my website farrengolding.com which i'm slowly in the process of putting some like i hate to say archival because it's not really that old but some older work on there like rounding up a bunch of stuff i've done prior to like the more recent things i do uh, jason where can people find you on the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the Instagram at Frozen and Carbonite. And I also write stuff for cornersnacks.com. Uh, new stuff coming soon. Dublin, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Be safe, though. Thank you.